It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. Jason, I feel like recently we were having a discussion about wanting things that we can't have. Is this right? Or did I imagine that we had that conversation? Mm, it sounds familiar. I mean, it also feels like <laughs> kind of in our, our general banter of life offline as friends and not just business partners and co-creators of this podcast that, yeah, I mean, it seems like that would be something that we brought up in passing. I don't think we did a deep dive on it necessarily. Well, I think we should. Okay. Well, <laughs> I guess that's how we're kicking off this episode then. <laughs> yep, that's for sure. I took a note and I I need to remind myself to take more in-depth notes about my thoughts <laughs> because all I wrote out was desire. I don't even know what this sentence doesn't even fully make sense, but it says desire of wanting things you can't have. I suppose it's like how we I don't even that's that's kind of redundant, like having a desire for things that we can't have. It's an interesting thing because things we can't have brings up a whole consideration of are we talking about material things? Are we talking about social status? Are we talking about a person? Because when you say things you can't have, it brings up a level of what exactly are we discussing, right? Because is that just a mechanism of our not-enoughness? Is it a mechanism of a belief system of thinking, I'll never get to that level of success, abundance, privilege, opportunity? Or is it something as basic as, I have amorous feelings or a desire to be with this other person, but they're in a relationship and therefore they're currently unobtainium? You know, really, I, it's a really deep, diverse box to crack open and talk about, isn't it? Because it really brings up the question, what exactly are we talking about when we think we can't have something? Right. We can talk about it generally. We can talk about it very specifically about how that plays out in our lives. And I think the concept of like, I can't have something, is that even true is part of my thought process is, is it true that you can't have it? Why can't you have it? What are the circumstances around it, right? Like something that feels appealing. And it's interesting too, because it also plays into how we relate to things that we can have and we'll take things for granted. And for me, I try to be really aware of this because sometimes I really want something and then when I get it, I do take it for granted and I forget the fact that there was a time where I really wanted it. You know, I think we talked about this in one episode briefly because an exception to that is something like my car. I remember like how bad I wanted my Model 3 and I never take that car for granted. I swear like every single time I drive it, every time I look at it, I feel so grateful for it. I feel like every day it's just so ap appreciated. And yet there are some things that I'll dream about getting, I'll have them. And then it's like, okay, this is nice to have. It's not the same feeling that it was before I got it, if that makes sense. Whether it could be a relationship like you mentioned, or I mean, even even on the lowest level, Jason, like we could relate this to food. <laughs> you know, like when you see a food you really want to try and then you try it and now it's suddenly 
no longer exciting anymore now that you've experienced it. And like, I mean, a great example, the first one that comes immediately to mind is I remember seeing Beyond Meat launch at KFC back in, where was it? Like Atlanta or something? And I don't remember exactly when that was, but they were only available in Atlanta with their Beyond Meat fried chicken. And then they came to Los Angeles. I was so excited about it. And I tried it. And now it's like, okay, cool. (laughs) You know, like things like that. Or another one, Jason, actually, that will hit close to home for the two of us is remember how we used to be obsessed with Boba Guys when we only got it in New York City. And now that they're available in Los Angeles, I never even think about them. Yeah, it's interesting, right? It's almost like if there's a... Not a scarcity, that's maybe too harsh of a descriptor, but there's a difficulty in obtaining something or it's almost like the challenge and the journey and meditating on and maybe obsessing a little bit over the desire for something can sometimes be more appealing and more interesting and more emotionally deep than actually getting the thing. You talk about kind of the normalization of our present situation. And I think you brilliantly touched upon this in the sense that we dream about something, we pine over it, maybe obsess over it, and then we finally get it. And then the whole damn thing kind of starts all over again. I mean, it brings up a real important question, which is at the deepest motivation of human activity, what role does desire and wanting play? Because I believe I mentioned this in a previous episode, how you have And by no means are these the only two schools of thought around the subject of human desire and wanting things. And this, I want to talk about materialism and capitalism. And there are many branches I want to discuss in this episode. But what's coming up for me right now, Whitney, is in the school of, I suppose, new age thought, you have like Abraham Hicks. And for the listener who may not know what Abraham Hicks is, it's a woman named Esther Hicks who does a channeling, which I suppose the best way to describe a channeling is opening one's consciousness to being a mouthpiece to non-physical entities. That's probably the most judicious way I can describe this. Of She channels an entity or a series of non-physical beings called Abraham. And one of her things is that desire is actually a good thing for humanity because it moves us forward. Contrast what I want and what I don't want, getting what I want and also getting what I don't want, births new desire in us, which moves us forward. And we constantly have desires. The flip side is, I suppose, a traditional Zen Buddhist approach, which is that desire and wanting and having unmet expectations conjoined to that desire is one of the intrinsic roots of human suffering. So on the one hand, you have a New Age thought leader like Abraham Hicks saying, no, desire is what moves us forward as a species. It's intrinsic to our growth and evolution. And then you have the Buddha who said desire is one of the roots of human suffering. It's very fascinating to think how diametrically opposed those are. I think for me, the challenge that I've had, Whitney, and what I'm still working through is feeling that I have desire for things or situations or experiences or people, but not being so attached to getting it and feeling like the getting of it will define me. If I get the orange McLaren, or I get the nice house, or I get a certain status or position in society, or a certain amount of money, or a certain amount of influence, that once I get that, I'll feel more complete, I'll feel happier, I'll feel more contented, I'll have more influence and power in life. I don't think that desire is necessarily bad. I think that 
if we attach too much meaning and self-worth and self-identity to getting the thing we desire, that's when we can set traps for ourselves. And that's where things get really, really tricky, in my opinion. Right. It's sometimes even helpful from a Buddhist perspective to notice what it feels like to want something and be satisfied with that on its own. You know, like, because as I said earlier, sometimes we get what we want and then it's no longer exciting. And we can reflect on that and realize that it was almost more exciting to want it than to have it. Oh, for sure. And and I feel like there's <laughs> this is a horrible old cliche, but for every person that's desiring someone else sexually, there's someone else that's sick of having sex with them. I mean, it's it's harsh, but it's <laughs> it's kind of like you get adjusted to things. I didn't mean to be crass by that example, by the way, but you get adjusted to things. It's a thing that you really, really wanted. You have it, and then you have it for a long time. And then it's almost this process of seeing it with new eyes. Like I've really made a point of trying to practice this in my life. This thing of instead of changing the circumstances, the things, the people, the outward things in my life, looking at it with new eyes of appreciation and gratitude. Because I think in sometimes in in human relationship, we get into a mode of taking someone for granted, whether that's our significant other, our parent, our best friends, whoever it is or whatever it is. It's like, oh yeah, there's old so-and-so. But I think that we can anchor ourselves and remember what it's like to feel those feelings of desire and excitement and freshness and make an effort to connect with those feelings. Because those feelings aren't outside of ourselves. Those feelings are within us, right? There was this really interesting practice. This is a bit tangential, but also related that when I was feeling really heartbroken like four years ago, and I was really like pining for this person and like, oh, I hope we get back together and I'm so sad. And you were there for me around this time. I realized that I was creating an illusion and perpetuating an illusion in my mind of this person is the source of my love, right? Like that excitement, that desire, that sexual connection, that love I had for this person was not there if they weren't there. But I realized that every time that I've been in love, felt that excitement, felt that passion, felt that connection, that connection was coming from within me. And so I started doing this thing that I call the golden heart meditation. I actually taught it in my course with Commune, the Good Mood Food course with Commune. We'll link to that in the show notes, by the way, wellevator.com, our website, spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And I realized with that I could generate those feelings of love, connection, appreciation, and passion within my own heart without fixating on someone else to provide that for me. That practice has been a game changer for me because it doesn't mean that I don't want someone, right? Or desire them or desire buying a nice house or having nice things in my life. But the excitement, the passion, the connection, the emotion is not dependent on that thing or that person. And that was a quantum shift for me. Wow. I feel like that's such a helpful thing to share, Jason, because I agree I think that we can get into that place. And I mentioned this in one episode that we recorded recently with a guest. I don't remember which one it is. (laughs) And it's an episode that probably hasn't come out when this one has. So we have a lot coming your way, dear listener. We really encourage you to subscribe because we record a lot in advance. And for the next month or so, we just have amazing guests coming on our show and beyond, of course. But at this time... I know that there's some incredible guests coming up very soon. And during one of those guest episodes, 
I shared how one of the greatest things that I was taught growing up was from my dad in that when I said to him, you made me feel this way, he taught me that he didn't make me feel that way. I was feeling that way as a reaction to him. And it was really this great lesson similar to what you're saying, Jason, about how we can often externalize so much of our experience. And that actually takes away a lot of our personal power, as well as our personal peace. Because if we are basing our experience and our emotions on how other people treat us, what other people do, first of all, we have very little control over anything outside of ourselves. We barely have control over ourselves as it is. And to think that somebody is doing something to us, somebody is doing something that's making us feel a certain way, is not usually, if ever, true. It is just like you're saying, Jason, that those feelings are coming from within. And I think that's such an important distinction to make because whether it's a relationship romantically, a business relationship, a friend relationship, family member, like all of these different dynamics that we have with other human beings, we can base a lot of our experience and our emotions on what they're doing. And if we do that all the time, of course, it's going to feel frustrating because we can't control them. And we can't even predict people, even if we think we know them very well. So it puts us in this constant state of uncertainty and fear and tension and stress. And even the people that we feel like we can most depend on, those people could change any time. And nothing is ever certain, as scary as it might sound. It's just virtually impossible to predict anything in life. And I think many of us are realizing this. But, you know, for those who have been married, for example, which is not something Jason and I can relate to (laughs) because neither one of us has been married. But I'll hear stories about people that thought they were going to be in the relationship for the rest of their lives and aren't anymore. And they never saw it coming for better or for worse, right? Maybe it was actually a good thing for them. But they just thought that that's the way it would be. And so if they had based their whole sense of identity and their whole lifestyle and like the just this idea of the rest of my life being a certain way, it actually puts you in a place where maybe you're not as prepared or maybe you are basing so much of yourself on something that's just simply not certain. So if you get thrown off course, who are you anymore? And how do you feel about things? It's a slippery slope, isn't it? Because on the one hand, I think that we're a bit addicted to the illusion of certainty because we associate it with safety. We associate it with predictability of being able to adapt to and predict potential threats. Or maybe that in some ways, the level of codependency and defining ourselves through our relationships, through our work, through our status, our title, our income, our things is very comfortable, right? It's very easy to look at the money we make, the status we hold, the relationships we're in, our zip code, our cars, our everything that's externalized you're talking about, Whitney, and use that as a framework to define who we are. And I feel like human society, at least in the industrial age, has certainly made that a framework that is difficult to think outside of, right? It's, it's challenging. And we talked about this early in the podcast, I think, in the labels and titles episode, way back at the beginning of, if we strip away the idea And I feel the illusion of that all of these external things make us who we are, then who are we? 
it's a frightening question for some people to sit with. I get frightened by it sometimes, right? Okay, if I take away the titles and the things that I think I am, and again, the bank account and the relationship and the status and the things and the blah, 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 and my story. This is all part of our story, I think. Who am I without my story? Really, who am I? If that's not really at the core of my being as a human being on this planet, and it's not that those things are bad. Like I think one of my favorite phrases that my mentor Michael's passed down to me is the Sufi saying, to be in the world, but not of it. That I can exist as a human being on the planet and not be anchored to whatever it is. I'm a BMW driver. I live in Beverly Hills. I make you know multiple six figures. I'm a doctor. I'm a this. I'm a that. It's again, not that those things are bad, but when we start to believe, I think that that is who we are, that who we're with, what we make, how we earn if we believe that's intrinsically who we are, I think that there are so many deeper levels to go into it. And I'm not saying when I say this, that we don't leverage our culture, our race, our identity, our heritage, our gender, whatever we've chosen. But I think if we think that that's the only picture of what and who we are, we're missing a massive part of our beingness and our development and our evolution as humans on this planet. I think there are many, many layers way beyond those external things. And it's sometimes exciting, sometimes frightening, sometimes fucking challenging, and sometimes breathtaking to have moments where we realize that all of that stuff is not who we are. Like, to me, I think that's one intrinsic part of real, like, liberation, like, really experiencing the liberation from the material world. Yeah. And it, it's a practice that we can be very intentional about or have to be intentional about because it's so easy to get pulled into that state of unconsciousness where we're just going through the motions or going back to our old ways of thinking, which might not be bad for us, but they can make it more challenging. And I feel more at peace when I feel less attached. And that's hard though, because we've talked about in many episodes, like being more present and letting go of expectations, trying not to have expectations. But these are mental habits. These are things that we've been encouraged to do. These are things that we may naturally do. And I think this is one of the reasons that meditation is so key is because it's, it's basically mental training. It's training you to be in the present moment. And it's training you to notice things without reacting to them, which I think is so key. And I actually feel more inclined to want to meditate when I think of it as training versus like relaxing or peaceful or something like that. If I look at it as like, I am encouraging my brain to not cling to anything and to sit in this present moment and notice as opposed to try to control and overanalyze like I have a tendency to do. It's also interesting like to give some examples. I don't remember again unless you do, Jason, like where this conversation that we had even was going or what we were talking about specifically. But earlier today, we were talking about how I've been noticing my discomfort with uncertainty as I get ready for my road trip, which by the time this episode is out, I probably will be done with my road trip. But we're recording this beforehand because I'll be on the road and unable to record during that time. And we will be doing an episode summarizing the experience and what I learned and how I felt. So again, another reason for you, the listener, to subscribe because 
that episode will be out soon. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the contrast between where I'm at now mentally versus where I'll be after the trip, if there's any major difference. But I think one lesson I'm finding through this experience is that unattachment and noticing where my desires are. So to get into the specifics, I feel this, first of all, huge urge to plan. And this is a tendency of mine where I try to like think of everything that I need, anything that I will need, anything that I'll want. It's like I'm trying to anticipate all of these things in the future. And part of that comes out of my discomfort with forgetting something. Oh, even just saying that phrase brings up tension in my body. Like I get very uncomfortable when I forget something. I just try so hard to remember things, but pretty much every day I have one of those experiences where I forget something, whether it's a piece of information or I forget to do something or I forget to bring something with me. And most times that's okay because they're minute. They don't really impact me that much. But when it comes to traveling, I get very nervous about forgetting something because there's like this consequence, especially for a long trip like I'm taking, where if I forget something, (laughs) I'm either going to have to buy it. And I really don't like buying something that I already have that drives me nuts. It feels so wasteful financially and resource wise. And then there's this feeling of, well, if I can't buy it, now I can't have it. Talk about unattachment. Like, I'm going to have to, like, there are things that I'm not going to be able to bring on this trip. Like, for example, I'm already mourning the fact I won't be bringing my Essentia body pillow. And as a little side note, I love this pillow so much. It's from this wonderful company, Essentia. We'll link to them in the show notes. It's an organic latex kind of memory foam material. It's a huge 30 pound pillow. And it's changed my sleeping experience. And I actually have considered bringing it on the trip. Uh, To be honest, I might end up taking it, but it takes up so much room. It's like the size of a small human being. And um, I was just thinking the other day, like, gosh, I can't believe I'm going to be sleeping without this for a couple months, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit tricky unless you were going to be touring in a van on this road trip because it looks kind of like the giant tentacles from a sea creature. It is a heavy, gigantic body pillow. Yet, to Whitney's point, I have tested it out and it is ridiculously comfortable. So I'm actually trying to imagine in your car when you were describing it, Whitney, how the hell you're going to fit it in there. (laughs) Well, I already tested this out as a side note, and this might show up in the video I'm making about the trip or videos, plural, because I kind of want to do one long video, but I might end up just doing a bunch of small videos. And I already recorded some footage of me testing out the pillow in the back of my Tesla. And I have the smallest Tesla they make right now. And so there's not a lot of room. If I were traveling by myself or like super minimally, I think I could bring it. But I am already feeling tension. Speaking of planning, like I'm feeling nervous about having enough room in the car. So It's been interesting because there's been a lot of stress um, in my mind. Like, I'm really trying to manage my stress right now, like, and not worry. And part of the way that I cope with stress and worry is to plan because it feels safe to me when I can anticipate, as I said, everything I'm going to need and want and notice the things that I want too and whether or not they're like 
pure wants or desires or are they things I actually need? And that's actually part of the lesson here is is noticing like, do you need what you want or do you just want it? And I think a lot of us get confused with that, like saying like, I want this. Or some of us say, I need this, even when it is just a want. It's not an actual need. It's not essential to us. And very few things are essential to us too, which is an interesting element when we talk about desire and wants. And and that's been something I've noticed coming up for me too, is all of the things that I want to take with me, but I have to because of the small car that I'm driving. And it's not that small, but you know, it's not like Jason saying, a van or a SUV is a small sedan, a compact sedan, right? The Model 3 is technically compact or no? It is technically in the midsize sedan category competing with other models such as the Honda Accord, Toyota Camry, and Mazda 6. It's technically a midsize, but the interior space, since you don't have a hatchback, you have a traditional trunk. I feel like, I feel personally, offshoot, tangent, I love hatchbacks and I've had many hatchbacks in my life because they're kind of like small SUVs. So whereas you have the Model 3, the new Model Y that came out earlier this year is a hatchback. So it's a bit bigger, but it has that hatchback functionality. But I think if you had a hatch, Whitney, you'd probably be able to stuff a lot more things in there. Trust me, I wish that my car was a hatchback too. And I have definitely contemplating one day getting the Model Y. I just I've actually never tested one out because they're so new. So maybe one day I will upgrade because it's slightly bigger and the hatchback, but that's a whole nother story. (laughs) Going back to my main point here is that noticing this feeling of uncertainty I have, like, ooh, can I control, can I cope with my uncertainty by planning, by anticipating? And again, that to me feels simultaneously good and simultaneously stressful. You know, like... I have been just trying to get a lot of sleep, but I haven't been sleeping that much because I keep staying up late and getting up early to try to get too much done. Then I'm tired throughout the day, so my energy is not as strong and I end up pausing or needing to pause. And now I'm worried that I'm not getting enough sleep before I drive cross country. It's like, this is also really interesting, Jason. I'm curious about your take on this because as we've also talked about in at least one episode, I am such a big planner. I enjoy planning. Again, like for the joy of it, plus perhaps the coping side of it or how I manage my stress, like planning makes me feel safe and comfortable and protected and all that. But a lot of people actually get very stressed out when it comes to planning. And I think, is that the case with you? Actually, I'm not even going to assume, Jason. Is, Is that the reason that you don't quite plan or organize as much as I do? Like you're definitely, when it comes to travel, when it comes to work, you're more off the cuff, as they would say, or you would say. (laughs) And I'm curious why. Like, does that just feel more comfortable to you? Yeah, it does feel more natural. And I think that this mentality I have of feeling more comfortable in sort of an improvisational make it up as I go state, it colors so many aspects of my life. And I've always felt so much more comfortable and at ease being on a stage, whether that's doing improv comedy or when I get, say, hired to do a commercial or any kind of acting gig on the side, that I've always had more of a challenge with scripted bits. Like on the TV series that I had, How to Live to 100, or the commercials I've done, you know, it's not that I can't memorize scripts, but I always feel more natural, more comfortable 
and more in my power when I'm just making it up. And aside from acting and entertainment and TV and all that, I really do think that filters and colors other aspects. We're talking about a road trip and planning. I feel like when you throw me into the fire, I can not just survive, but thrive in those situations. And I guess I just feel a higher level of confidence. It's not just comfort that I feel more powerful and have a higher level of confidence when it's like, all right, just make it up, dude. Like, let's go. Drop of a hat. And I know that terrifies some people, but the idea of getting up in front of a big crowd and speaking extemporaneously and having no script and having no talking points, that feels visceral and exciting and confident and powerful. And you're like, okay, here's a script and you got to go through like all these 15 points. I'm like, ugh, let me look at the points and then let me do it my way. So maybe it's part of me being rebellious. Maybe it's part of me wanting to be in my lane where I know I feel more powerful and confident. But I think one of the reasons that you and I complement each other as friends and business partners, but also at points have clashed is because you're very much in that planning structure. And I'm like, we'll make it up as we go. You're like, no, we need to plan. I'm like, no, I don't need to plan. I'm just going to make it up. So it's an interesting contrast, right? Isn't it? That we're not on opposite sides of the coin, but that you and I feel comfortable and confident and safe in very different ways. Absolutely. And it's an interesting thing to observe about ourselves and where these tendencies come from. I think it also goes back to this idea of, well, that's just the way I am, or that's the way life is. But a lot of the times it's the way that we are as individuals. That's not the way all of life is. That's not the way that everybody is. And we're also in some of these ways adaptable, right? Like I don't have to be that way. In fact, the more that I notice my tendencies, the more that I can consider how much they're serving me. And I think with this trip in particular, it's going to require me to be flexible and to deal with a certain amount of uncertainty. Like (laughs) the tie-in also to this initial question of like dealing with the desire of wanting something that we can't have, right? There are some things that are happening right now as I plan this trip that are very unknown. There are things that I want and that are a little bit out of my control, For example, I'm working and had approached a number of brands to see if they would like to be part of the coverage that I'm doing of this trip. And as I I shared earlier, we're going to be doing a podcast episode on this. I'm working on a video. I'll be doing social media, as we've talked about recently. And there are a lot of opportunities for brands to get involved. And I have had incredible support from brands that are sending me products. I can't wait to tell you, the listener, all about them. Jason doesn't even know the extent of which I've received in these just incredible foods and accessories and body care and stuff that are going to really support this long journey I'm going on to get across the country and enjoy it along the way. And there are some brands that have said no there are some brands that haven't responded at all. And there are some brands that have been in between that have said like, maybe kind of, or we'll see. <laughs> and man, does that trigger <laughs> something for me? It's like this anxious feeling of, I just want to know the answer, but I really hope you say yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I really, really want this. And they haven't said I can't have it, but they have said, I might be able to get it. I might not be able to. And that almost to me is worse. It's kind of like relationships too, Jason, don't you think? Like, Even though it's really sad and disappointing when somebody we want to date, somebody we want to be with romantically, 
either rejects us or breaks up with us or something like where they just like turn us down, we're done, or we never started. That's tough, but there is some closure when it feels that definite. It's harder, I think, when it's that in-between period or that gray area. As much as I love gray areas in general, there are certain gray areas that are really tough. And don't you think that's really challenging with relationships when like, maybe somebody wants to be with you, maybe they don't. Yeah, it's stressful for sure. And I think relationships as a metaphor for all of life, right? And looking at our relationships with ourselves and others as a teacher and a way to examine how we are relating to other aspects of our life. We talked about this, I think, probably in the conspiracy theory episode, the one where people got all their knickers in a bunch over that episode, which we will link to in the show notes. If you, dear listener, want to get your knickers in a bunch. What am I, like a gentleman from 1840? Like, if you want to get your knickers in a bunch, listen to our conspiracy theory episode. (laughs) But we talked about how uncomfortable certain people are in not knowing. Like, if I have a definite answer and a yes or no and an explanation for things, then I'll feel okay moving forward with my life. But sometimes life will not give you closure. Sometimes life will not give you an answer. Sometimes there are questions that will never be answered. And it's interesting, like if I reflect on some romantic relationships and also business interactions and friendships, there are questions I'll never have answers to. And can I be okay with that? Can I sleep at night and move forward with my life knowing that I will never know the quote truth behind a certain situation? Like I have my perspective, I have my beliefs on it, I have my interpretations of what may or may not happen. But I really think that some people are really radically uncomfortable not having a framework of this is exactly what's happening. This is exactly what's going on. It stresses people out. And I do think that people's desire to explain things right now and what may or may not be happening offers them some modicum of certainty and maybe an escape hatch from the anxiety and stress. I'm I'm not, how do I say this? It's not that I'm trying to escape anxiety and stress, but I'm not pushing it away, right, Whitney? Like part of the things that we teach on this podcast is if you're feeling uncomfortable, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling stressed, you're feeling uncertain, don't mask it, don't deny it, and don't push it away. Like allow yourself to feel it and also, you know, use things to help mitigate it, but don't deny that it's happening. For sure. And as I mentioned, like noticing, just paying attention to stress. I would say when I feel stressed out, if I just pause and reflect on why I'm feeling stressed, I can learn so much and feel just a sense of being a little bit more in control, even if I'm not actually in control. It's just like, okay, well, I mean, a great example is like when I feel the desire to control things, it's probably because I'm feeling stressed out. And as I said, like that coping mechanism, that desire to control so that I feel more relaxed. In a way, it's actually counterproductive because the act of controlling and planning and organizing, like that takes so much work and that creates tension. And as I mentioned, a big concern of mine gearing up for this trip is getting enough sleep, restful sleep. So this is a great time to mention a very helpful thing that I've been using to prepare (laughs) as part of my planning and my routine and organizing. I've been trying to 
take supplements to support me. Probiotics are really key before and during and probably even after travel because our digestion can get really screwy. Especially for me, I'm going to be traveling through different time zones and that can mess up your rhythm in a lot of ways that can affect your sleep. But the thing that I am going to be taking every night leading up to my trip, which is less than a week away now, and taking during my trip, especially since I'm going to be camping in my car and probably feeling a little on edge about that experience at first, like camping in general, that's very uncertain to me. I'm sure there's going to be some challenges to that, or maybe it'll be easier. I don't know. Anyways, the big thing for me right now is taking magnesium. And as we've talked about in some recent episodes, we have a sponsor who makes an incredible magnesium formulation called Magnesium Breakthrough. And this is by optimizers. We love their products. I'm also taking their probiotics. I'm taking their enzymes. Like (laughs) They sent us each a box of their products and I just felt like it was perfect timing because I've been able to experiment with them a lot. We've talked about Gluten Guardian, all this stuff. But that magnesium breakthrough is so great right now because it's designed to help reduce stress levels and help us feel more relaxed and at peace plus fall asleep faster and sleep deeper, which is what I really need right now. And that act of reducing stress and sleeping better boosts your immune system, which is another big concern of mine because I'm traveling during COVID and I want to make sure that my body is like in tip-top shape. So it's just been a godsend. I started taking it and slept incredibly well the very first night I took it. And I woke up feeling amazing, even on less sleep than I would normally get. So the fact that I didn't like wake up in the middle of the night feeling stressed about something or wake up feeling really exhausted was huge. So I'm very grateful to be taking it a lot. And you've been wanting to take it, Jason. You actually haven't tried it yet, to be honest. I'm going to be giving you some so that you can experience it yourself. But maybe you can talk about how magnesium has been amazing for you and what you'll be taking it for. Yeah. I mean, the big thing beyond what you mentioned in terms of sleep and stress reduction, magnesium helps to reduce cortisol. Cortisol is one of the biggest stress hormones that gets released when we get into a fight or flight mode. When our central nervous system gets activated and there's no actual real threat, it's just a mental threat. We hear all the time that there's no saber-toothed tigers in the wild anymore. It's all saber-toothed tigers of the mind. And whenever we get into an anxious reaction of, say, anticipating a negative future outcome, the aspects of ourselves and the same stress hormones as if we were facing an immediate physical threat namely cortisol and adrenaline get activated. So magnesium specifically helps to reduce cortisol levels, which what does that do? It helps our immune system. It helps us sleep, as you mentioned, Whitney. And my whole thing too with magnesium, this is <laughs> this is kind of a side benefit. I have noticed, maybe this is TMI. It's not. We're, there's no such thing as TMI on our podcast. I've noticed that magnesium for me before bed, specifically taking it as the last thing I consume before I go to sleep, not only does it help me rest better, but the next morning, 
I tend to have pretty fantastic morning wood for all the guys and the gals out there who are interested in having or receiving better erections. Yes, absolutely. I thought for sure you were going to mention that magnesium helps with your digestion and then you go to the bathroom very easily, which is also another big perk. I did not think you were going to talk about morning wood, Jason. (laughs) Ten years ago, shout out to our friend Jay Denman. He was like, oh, yeah, because I was having sleep issues on and off for the last decade with work stress and, you know, mental health issues that I was having. First of all, magnesium has been a back pocket thing for me for about a decade now. And I remember when I was talking to our friend Jay, who introduced me to it. He was like, look, magnesium is like the master mineral. It like conducts 300 reactions in your body. He was like, what did he say? It's like detoxification. It helps you metabolize fat, energy, and like you said, Whitney, digestion. But he said a side benefit that doesn't get talked a lot about is blood flow. And he's like, he kind of winked at me. He's like, get it? Blood flow? And he's like, dude, when you start taking magnesium, you're going to have like teenage level erections the next morning. (laughs) So as a person who's approaching my mid 40s, that's been an added side benefit of taking magnesium. So again, for me, though, the original reason was helping with sleep, reducing inflammation, reducing cortisol. The erection thing is just kind of a bonus. It's like, hey, it's going to help with all these things. And guess what, fellas? (laughs) Wink, wink. So that's that's been a really it's been a lovely bonus. I'll be honest. Wow. I actually don't think I've ever heard that before. And I've done a lot of detailed research on magnesium. And and we talked about in another episode that there are many different forms of magnesium and magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers is one of the most, if not the most complete magnesium supplement blend available because it's combining seven forms of it. Right. And each form of magnesium has different purposes. So I'm curious which form uh, (laughs) could impact that, Jason. And, you know, whether it's a a female listener that has a man in their life that could benefit from this or a male listener, these are good things to know. So thank you for bringing that up, Jason. (laughs) Yeah. And I also want to talk a little bit about something super unique about this formula uh, from Biooptimizers is that it has trace amounts in this in this formula, the magnesium breakthrough of monoatomic magnesium. And what makes that cool and beyond sounding cool is that it helps to make all the other forms of the magnesium more bioavailable. And bioavailability just basically means that your body can utilize it for all of these functional purposes. So that's another unique part of this. I've never ever seen another formula that has amounts of monoatomic magnesium. I mean, that's really unique and very cool. And really quickly for the listener, we have a really cool promotion going on with BioOptimizers, and we will talk about that at the end of the episode. But we also want to just give a little tidbit here in the middle, if you're with us, that we have a 10% code that you can use when you go to their website. We also want to spell it out for you because it is a very unique... There's a lot of unique spellings. Wellevator is a unique spelling and BioOptimizers is a unique spelling. So uh, for the listener, if you want to check out Magnesium Breakthrough, the special promotion can be accessed at biooptimizers.com slash Wellevator. So I'm going to spell it. B-I-O-P- T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash Wellevator. Again, it's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R dot com. You can get an additional 10% off from the normal package price when you use the coupon code Wellevator10. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R-1-0. Here's the cool thing too. If you don't like it, the guys who make these amazing products that Winnie and I are loving, they're so confident that you're going to love it 
that you get your money back if it doesn't work for you. But we're pretty damn confident it's going to work. We've tried a lot of magnesium and a lot of supplements in general. And we also would never recommend anything that we don't use and we don't believe in. So we're hoping that it works well for you. But, you know, I've also noticed over the years that what works for me doesn't work for everybody else. (laughs) Just like I was saying earlier about managing my stress and my coping mechanisms and all of these things. And I think it's an ongoing journey. One of the biggest lessons I continue to learn is to try things and be open-minded about them. And it's really nice when you can try something and have some sort of backup plan or a guarantee in place that's saying like, hey, you can try it. And that actually is leading me to another element of this too is I mentioned, I believe in another episode, we talk about so much on the show. (laughs) After doing over 100 episodes, we have so many references to past episodes. And one thing for me is I feel best. I feel most comfortable. And I don't need this, but this is something I really appreciate is when I have the kind of like structure, lack of a better word, or permission is probably a better one in this context to make a mistake, to try something and either figure out that it's not for me or figure out that I'm not good at it or realize that I didn't do it right if I want to use that term. I feel like right and wrong are so harsh. But let's just say in this context, a lot of us view life through doing things right or wrong. Like When we make a mistake, which in essence, doing something wrong, then having that opportunity to redo something and get it right is so amazing. But there are times when I feel like that's not in place. And maybe that's why I get that desire to control or predict and plan and organize is because that gives me the greatest chance of not screwing things up. And I actually was reflecting a lot on this recently while listening to the audiobook for I think it's called The Pursuit of Perfect. Let me pull this up just to make sure I get it right. And this will be in the show notes as well, along with everything that we mentioned, any of the resources, any of the products we mentioned, the discount codes, those are all there for you to easily find. And it's called The Pursuit of Perfect. It's a wonderful book. I've actually been listening to the audiobook and reading it, not simultaneously. I kind of alternate between the two of them. And one of the points that really hit home for me in that book was how perfectionists tend to control and try to be perfect all the time because they're just terrified of being wrong. And I think that's one of the reasons that I have that tendency is I'm afraid of getting in trouble. I'm afraid of being shamed. I'm afraid of not getting another chance. I think that ties into this idea of forgetting. Like It's like the consequences make me so uncomfortable. And I'm curious for you too, Jason, given that you don't have that tendency, do you not like worry about consequences and embarrassing yourself? Clearly, you don't care about embarrassing yourself. (laughs) You do a lot of things that some people would never do. Like You're very extroverted and you're bold and courageous in a lot of ways. So correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't seem like that's a concern for you. But A, I'm curious, do you worry about consequences? And B, if you don't worry about consequences, what do you worry about in this kind of context of planning or anticipating or any of that? Well, first of all, thank you for your acknowledgement of seeing me and praising me as a courageous, bold 
human being who is not easily embarrassed. I appreciate that, Whitney, and I feel that. I think the challenge that I have in this context, it's a little bit nonlinear what I'm going to say because it's related, but also involves other aspects of life. The thing that I struggle with, I think, is living up to the idea of what I think I ought to be doing or who I ought to be and feeling like I'm not there yet. It's not by virtue of what, say, my mom or my family told me or what other... It's not because people are saying you're not living up to your potential or you haven't done enough yet or you need to be more perfect, you need to plan better. It's all in my own head. And I've really sat with this a lot of, okay, where is that coming from? Because I don't think it's an externalized voice necessarily. I do think that I've bought into the idea, and this is interesting because our episode about the Enneagram will cover more of this, but realizing that I feel most aligned with being an Enneagram 4, there's an aspect of that sort of personality profile that talks about how Enneagram 4s feel like they are special, that they are at a higher level of, I suppose, creative attunement or creative receptivity, and that they therefore have extremely high expectations of themselves. My entire life, I've battled extremely high expectations of myself to the point that I can be very cruel to myself, that I can demand a lot from myself because I think somehow that there is this potential that I'm never quite living up to. That's been a really painful struggle for me is I still feel that way. I still feel that creatively, artistically, what I've created and everyone's like, but you've created so much and you have this YouTube channel and TV show and book and whatever it is. You know, people always point to the external stuff, but somehow it's not about perfectionism to me as much as it is potential. I somehow feel like I have, and what the hell does that even mean? Like, I don't know that I've even defined that for myself. It's almost like there's just this idea that I haven't done enough or I haven't succeeded enough. It really just goes back to this idea of not enoughness, Whitney, at the core of it. And I don't know that perfectionism necessarily plays into that as much as it does for you. For me, it's more of like there's some ideal of potential creatively that I think in my mind I just haven't lived up to. And I want to understand it more because it, it still causes me a lot of pain of this, this idea like you haven't done enough. You haven't achieved your level of greatness. And sometimes I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? I don't know that I've even defined what this ideal of potential and greatness even is for myself. That's so interesting, Jason. And I think for me, that's also part of it as well. It's like sometimes I can get so caught up in all the things that I'm able to do, like the possibilities, and I just want to try to get them all. And I think that's where the unattachment comes in. But yet I know that I haven't fully learned how to be unattached, right? Because as I said earlier, like there are some things I really want to happen for my trip and I don't know if they're going to happen or not, but I tried to make them happen. And I think that's where I need to focus and perhaps for you as well. Again, this is also something we've talked about before. It's like the journey, not the destination. And maybe that is part of the big answer here because as I said before, sometimes it's what we want that feeling of like, oh, I can't have it. That's why I want it so badly. Or I really want something and then you get it. And it's it's like, okay, cool. And then on to the next thing. That's basically the same idea as it is with products and anything like kind of material versus achievements. 
where the journey is so satisfying or can be very satisfying, but a lot of us focus so much on when on like getting it versus the process of getting it. When we do get something, it's just kind of like, all right, great, next. And that is actually a perfectionist mentality is that idea that it's never enough. It's never good enough. You're never satisfied. You're always after the next thing. And in that book, actually, there's an example of a man who ended his life because he just was never satisfied. He never felt good enough. He was always striving. And somebody asked his wife, I think, like, because I think this man, it's a real story. I just don't remember the, who it was exactly off the top of my head, but I think he got an award after he passed. And somebody asked, I believe it was his wife. I could be wrong. You'll have to read the book to find out. It's a really good book. It's called The Pursuit of Perfect again. And somebody asked his wife, let's just say, would he have ended his life if he knew he was going to get that award or if he had been awarded this before? And I believe her response was maybe, but he had gotten a lot of awards previously. And I think her point was, yeah, this award would have been great and he would have been grateful for it. But he still might have felt unsatisfied. He still would just be focused on the next award, the next achievement. And part of that process, and actually coming back to my trip too, which is really top of mind, this trip is going to go by so fast. And I've been spending all this time feeling like stressed and like wanting to try to force it to be something. Like, how can I make this the best trip ever? And that, that puts so much pressure on things too. That can happen in relationships. Like, How can I set myself up for success so that I can be in the best relationship, have the best career, have the best outcome? But that, again, that stress, we might start focusing so much on the stress and less about the joy of that planning process, the joy of the creation process. And then being in that moment, I'm going to have to remind myself every single day of this trip to be present and not to be focused on the next stop and the next thing and like getting through it. Actually, I think that's another concern of mine, Jason, is is this, I'm driving somewhere, like there is a destination for me. But the huge reason that I'm doing this trip is that journey to that destination. And I could get hyper-focused on like where tomorrow's stop is. What are we doing for lunch? What are we doing for dinner? How are we going to sleep? You know, all of those things, like I can just start to obsess over those details And that could take me out of the moment and the joy. And just as you and I experienced last year when we went on our road trip, it goes by so fast. And then we spend all this time remembering how great it was versus like being in the present moment, experiencing the greatness, you know? Completely. Yeah. And I think that I don't believe that life is punitive. I've often, and we're going to bring in some more Jason-isms in this episode. I love quotes and always love sharing quotes that have affected me, but One of the things is the Albert Einstein quote of one of the most important decisions you'll ever make is whether you live in a friendly universe or a malevolent one. I don't believe that the universe is cruel in what I'm about to say, but I think that especially right now, there seems to be an accelerated energy of shattering people's illusions and expectations are illusions. Expectations are not real. Thinking you know what's going to happen and you can plan for it and And I don't mean this in a ruthless or punitive way, but it feels to me like right now, life, the universe, God, spirit, the all that is, whatever you want to call it, is like, (laughs) yeah, those expectations are cute. 
I'm just going to shatter them for you over and over and over. We don't know what's going to happen with the stock market. We don't know what's going to happen with our jobs. We don't know what's going to happen with our relationships. We don't know what's going to happen with our health. I've been dealing with some really difficult health challenges this year, which we've alluded to a little bit. We just don't know. And this desire for certainty, this desire of, oh, I know, I know what's going to happen. I know the the truth with a capital T. I just think life right now is like, you don't know shit. And I don't mean that again in a punitive or aggressive way. I, th- I think life is trying to wake us the fuck up. And to say, Whitney, with this whole thing of you being present, I think it's beautiful you have that intention because to think even with all your planning, right? There are going to be things that come up on this trip that you did not anticipate and you did not expect. And that's okay because we have to allow life to be life. We have to allow for the chaos, the uncertainty, the growth, the evolution, the beautiful surprises. There's going to be wonderful surprises along the way on your trip, Winnie, that you also didn't expect, right? So it's we need to let life be life and stop trying to control it so much. And we can control it, but I really feel like this energy of, of shattering our illusions and showing how little control we have, I feel like this energy is going to continue to accelerate and gain even more force. That's my opinion. Well, it's a really good imp- opinion. I like <laughs> I like that, Jason. I mean, we could go on and on about this subject matter. And as usual, we certainly ended up at a place that I did not expect. And I suppose that's that's perfect because that's that's what we're talking about here. Even this desire of wanting an episode to go a certain way or thinking it might be planning it, all of that. The process of, of starting these episodes without attachment to w- where they go as a conversation has been really freeing for me. And it's it's lovely to see that they all kind of work out even if we don't really know what we're going to talk about. (laughs) Like sometimes we learn lessons that we just never would have anticipated until they they come out of our mouths. Yeah, it's really, it's trusting life. I feel like you and I doing this podcast is almost like inviting uncertainty because we don't know where it's going to go or end up. And not just these quote solo episodes with you and I, but and also our guests. Like we 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 go in, dear listener, whether it's your whatever 121st episode or your first episode, we don't do a lot of planning for these. We have a general true north of our compass of where we kind of want to direct the episode, but the intricate details we don't. So every single time you listen to an episode, we are literally making it up as we go with of course, you know, a sponsor like BioOptimizers and some of the great brands that support us, but for the most part, the narrative and the direction of what we're doing, we don't know. So I feel like in a way, Whitney, you and I taking on this podcast is also training us to be more comfortable and confident with making it up as we go. I just really feel like it's a microcosm for life. And another Jasonism I want to throw in there because I've been waiting to drop this one from the great Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu. One of my favorites of his is act without expectation. But there's another one that I really love, which is mastering others is strength. Mastering yourself is true power. And I just wanted to say that in reference to, I don't know, earlier in the episode when we were talking about how we really don't have control over the external circumstances of life. We don't have control how people perceive us, their opinion of us, their reactions to us. We ultimately just don't have control over a lot of external things in our life. But having self-mastery in terms of I suppose, being radically experimental with new approaches in life, honoring our personal evolution and growth, and being able to pivot and improvise, I think, are aspects of self-mastery. And so this internal world, 
through mindfulness, meditation, health, introspection, relationship, I believe that is really kind of honing our sense of self, right? And ultimately, I think that's kind of the cornerstone of life is self-awareness and mastering ourselves. That There's no end point to that. You know, it's like, ah, oh, I've mastered myself now. I have full awareness. To me, that's a journey that never ends. And that, again, can be exciting and beautiful and special, or for some people can be absolutely terrifying. There's also a song, Whitney. Whitney, this is going to be a reach into the annals of music history for a second, but I want to bring it up because this aspect of desire and wanting things and wanting things and wanting things and exploring our desire. There was a band in the 90s called The The. Have you ever heard of The The? Not by name, but maybe if you like sang me a song of theirs. Well, so a little bit of music for the music geeks out there. Johnny Marr, the guitarist from The Smiths, people probably know The Smiths and who, who Morrissey is. After The Smiths disbanded, Johnny Marr from The Smiths went on to be in a bunch of different bands. And one of the bands he was in for a short period of time was The The. They're a British band. They were around and really making a lot of music in the 80s and 90s. There's a bit of a song that I want to read, the lyrics, because I think it really speaks to this nature of unexamined desire and sometimes how desire can lead us to chasing things over and over and over again. And so the lyrics to this song, the name of the song is True Happiness This Way Lies. And when you were talking about the nature of desire, I was like, oh, there's this song. What was that song? And it kind of light bulb in my head, like, oh, that song. Haven't listened to this song in years, but the lyrics to this song always stuck with me. And if I may just kind of jump into it really quick, it says, have you ever wanted something so badly that it possessed your body and your soul through the night and through the day? Until you finally get it, and then you realize it wasn't what you wanted after all. And then those self-same sickly little thoughts go and attach themselves to something or somebody new. And then the whole goddamn thing starts all over again. It's like, wow, isn't that true? How many times have we really wanted something and we get it and we're like, oh shit, I didn't actually want this. And then observing how that feeling keeps chasing other things over and over. It's like if we don't tame it, it's like a wild beast with a mind of its own. It almost sounds like a very mature Dr. Seuss. It's and also the songwriting in the those music. And I, I will actually link to this track in the show notes at our website, wellevator.com. W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Dear listener, if you've never listened to The Those Music, and this goes for you too, Whitney, this particular album this song is from is phenomenal. One of my favorite albums of the 90s, actually. I'd put it in my top 10 albums of the 90s. So with that, are we approaching the time for shout outs and FAQs, Whitney? Yes, we are. Excellent. dun dun dun, dun. That yes, we are reminded me of like one of our inside jokes. Oh, you know what it is? Wait, can you guess? Yes, yes. No. No? It's one we actually haven't said in a little while. You've been stung. You've been bitten. (laughs) Shout out to the Honey Badger video. We'll also link to that in the show notes in case anybody has forgotten about the classic Honey Badger video. That is a reference to that wonderful, artful piece of YouTube lore. So brand shout outs, of course, Whitney and I are blessed to get samples of things uh, all the time. And recently, we both had the great pleasure of experiencing a plant-based mac and cheese, boxed mac and cheese called Howl. And Whitney, I have to say, like in terms of boxed mac and cheeses, I've tried some of the other brands that have been floating around in, in the industry for a while. 
But I really thought that for me, my palate, this was like extra gourmet, especially the spicy Chipotle version. Basically, Howell, you basically you get a box of mac and cheese and you get the packet, the sauce packet, and you get the dry macaroni and you make it like you would any traditional mac and cheese. But the sauce, though, I thought, especially the spicy Chipotle was so good, Whitney. Sometimes when I have other boxed vegan mac and cheeses, I feel like I have to add stuff to it. This one I felt legit was delicious right out of the box. How did you feel about it? I agree. Now, currently, they don't sell it gluten-free with gluten-free pasta. It comes with full-on gluten <laughs> uh, macaroni, you know, dried pasta in the box. And I actually tried a little bit of it. Thanks also, again, to our sponsor, Bioptimizers. They have that Gluten Guardian supplement. That is a digestive enzyme if you want to eat gluten but are sensitive to it like we are. So I took some of the Gluten Guardian and then had some of the uh, mac and cheese right out of the box, and it was fantastic. I also mixed it with Bonza pasta, which is one of the gluten-free pastas I enjoy. It's made from chickpeas and a few other ingredients. And that was a delicious combination. I agree. The Chipotle was my favorite. But I will say, Jason, since we did mention this a few episodes back, the classic cashew sauce tasted great with black truffle powder sprinkled on top of it. And I bet you, if you haven't tried this already, it'd be phenomenal with truff hot sauce because I actually added hot sauce and truffle powder to it. Did you try it with truff? Yeah, I did try it with truff. And I wanted to say it doesn't need it because I feel the sauce is so wonderfully crafted. And one of the things about Howell is that they are a chef-driven product, meaning they have professional chefs helping to develop the flavors. But this truff, we've shouted them out on a previous episode. This truffle hot sauce is like one of the most ridiculous hot sauces. And I have to go on record saying that I believe that I'm a bit of a hot sauce connoisseur. I love hot sauces. I'm obsessed with them. And a little, little bit of truff on top kind of takes it to that next level. It really does. I agree. One other brand I wanted to shout out is someone I've actually been wanting to tell you about, Jason, because they sent me such a generous amount of products that I will have to share it with you. I'm going to force you <laughs> unless you really don't want it, but I think you're going to want this. A brand that is kind of a blast from the past because I first tried their products back in, I think it was 2013 when they were developing them is North Coast Organics. Do you remember them? Don't they do deodorant? Correct. Now, I will say I'm a huge fan of Schmidt's deodorant, but North Coast deodorants is probably my second favorite that I've tried. I've tried a number of them. There's also another brand that I'll say for another time that makes a really cool eco-friendly container and for a deodorant. But they were like just starting to work on their formulation. So I think they need a little bit more work before I get there. That's actually one issue that I have with most deodorants is that they use so much plastic and I feel guilty about it. But finding a good deodorant formulation is really important for many of us because we don't want our armpits to smell. <laughs> At least I don't. And there's, you know, sensitivity with your skin. I mean, there's a lot of factors to consider. Is it vegan? on and on. And there's a lot of things to think about it when it comes to deodorant. So North Coast Organics reached out because, Jason, they just created a like special, I don't know if they use the term like line or partnership. I don't know if it's a limited time series they're doing. 
but it is all Grateful Dead themed deodorant. Wait, what? Yep. So they, all of their packaging is designed based on the Grateful Dead. They sent me all of these cool stickers with Grateful Dead imagery. And their deodorants have actually gotten even better, of course, since it's been like seven years since I first tried them. But they're really good. They're, they come in different shapes that are really satisfying. The Schmitz deodorant is kind of like the standard like oval-shaped but this is circular shaped and it's just so satisfying to apply and, and like the cap kind of twists off. So like the experience of just putting it on is nice. The scents are amazing and I'm going to have to pull them up right now so that I remember all of them. But I feel like you're going to have more questions as I'm doing this, Jason. So let's hear it. What do you want to know? I don't know that I have questions, but it, I feel like I guess I'm in a musical mood because it the Grateful Dead sticker, the Deadhead icon, uh-huh. it reminded me of the line from the Don Henley song, Boys of Summer, where he goes, out on the road today, I saw a deadhead sticker on a Cadillac. But yours is going to be out on the road today, I saw a deadhead sticker on a Model 3. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not going to go as far as to put a sticker on my car because I'm not that type of driver. But yes, they gave me so many stickers. I'm going to have to give some away, including to you, Jason. So just a few basic details about North Coast Organics is they're certified vegan certified non-GMO, USDA organic. They're also B Corporation certified, which is amazing. Cruelty-free, of course, like on and on. So they just released this Grateful Dead series, small batch handmade deodorants, and here are the scents. And I don't know that much about Grateful Dead, to be honest, and and I'm about to read the whole story. It's actually really sweet. I'm going to link to them, of course, in the show notes. And when you check it out, there's like pictures of the founder. I don't know. Did you meet him? His name's Nathan, Jason, or did I just meet him? Were you there when I met him? Yeah, I was. I think this was like 2013 or 2012. Yeah. Yes, I did meet him. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, I mean, a blast from the past, but there are these great photos of him (laughs) in San Francisco, I think. And it's like they use some filter to look like these photos were taken in the 70s or something. But let's see his story. I guess the Grateful Dead influenced their core principles as a company, which is really neat, and kept them true to their mission of social responsibility. And as a result, there's like this whole story about his trip, Nathan's trip. He became a veg head, as he called it, supporting organic agriculture, becoming environmentally conscious, engaging in political anti-war activity, donating time and money. I mean, this is actually making me want to get more into the Grateful Dead just reading this. This sounds like me. And so they created these five different scents. I had to count them out. Okay, you ready for this, Jason? I think some of these are based on Grateful Dead songs, but you'll have to tell me. Do you, how familiar are you with the Grateful Dead music, Jason? I need to go on record and state that I am not a deadhead. I'm not either, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, I just kind of categorically like jam band music that probably people would maybe lump Grateful Dead, Matthews, Fish, String Cheese Incident, Dave Matthews. That's not, I don't vibe really with that genre of music so far. I've never heard any of that. I was like, oh, I love this. So I'm not really familiar with Grateful Dead songs. I don't really know their catalog. Got it. Well, then maybe you won't recognize any of these deodorants, but perhaps I'm curious how many deadheads we have listening to our show. Maybe they'll come out of the woodworks now that I'm mentioning this. So 
They have my current favorite that I use today is lavender and rose. And that one's called skull and roses. They have an unscented. And that's just what it's called. (laughs) They have one called sunshine, which is blood orange and bergamot. I feel like you're going to want that one, Jason. (laughs) Yes. You're still waiting for me to share all of them before you make your decision, I feel. No, but I feel like you're right. Blood orange and bergamot sounds like something I would want to eat. So therefore, (laughs) if I'm going to put it in my mouth, I'll probably put it on my body too. Yep. Then they have one called timber, which is Douglas fir and sage. I have to say it smells reminiscent of a natural bug spray I've used. So I wasn't as into it as I thought it was going to be. But just being fully honest with that one wasn't for me. Um, And then the last one's called Working Man's, and that's cedarwood and juniper. And I liked that one a lot. I like those kind of earthy scents. And so I just started using it today, I think, and I really love it. I love what they're all about. So that's why I felt like they deserved a shout out. And Jason, I love your opinion on it, too. I always like it when we can talk about a brand that we're both really into. Yeah, well, I'm going to try and... I assume that you're going to forward me this bergamot and blood orange version based on how you forward you like through an email. What does that even mean? Like give you in other words? That's what I meant. (laughs) Yes, Jason, I will give you that bergamot scent and you can try it out for yourself. Grazie, grazie, grazie. All right. Well, lastly, before we fully wrap the show, let's dive into some frequently asked queries and I didn't vet any specifically for the theme of the show as I sometimes do because, you know, sometimes we can't plan. But let's see here. What would you like to start with? Funny, interesting, or serious? Let's go serious, then interesting, end on funny. Okay, got it. I like ending on funny. That's a good idea. Oh, actually, here's one. Somebody typed in, certainty is the enemy of truth. Mm, Truth. Interesting. Certainty is the enemy of truth. I think if we accept that the opposite of reality is illusion and that reality is true and illusion would be false, even if we believe that it's true, then I guess that makes sense. Certainty is the enemy of truth. Yeah. I mean, look, if we accept that in my philosophy, part of the intrinsic nature of reality on planet Earth is is uncertainty, then yeah, that rings true for me. All right. Next up, we have an interesting query. Lots to choose one from here. Hmm. <laughs> I guess I'm just curious off the top of my head. There's a few that I really want to mention, so but we'll save them for future episodes, not just uh, to tease you, the listener, but because there's just a lot of really interesting things that people type in Google searches. But this one, for some reason, I just felt like hearing your answer to, because I'm sure you know the answer to this, Jason. Is Stevie Wonder completely blind? Yes, Stevie Wonder is completely blind. A side note, super interesting fact about Stevie Wonder. I have like three fascinating, interesting connections to Stevie Wonder, yet I have never personally met him. Stevie Wonder is one of the artists that has just touched my life in so many ways. He is in an echelon of artists that... First of all, just grew up listening to all his records, vinyl records being from Detroit and Motown. But Stevie is one of the rare people that I think I would have a very difficult time keeping my composure if I were to ever meet him. So I'm just putting that out into the universe because I welcome that level of discomfort. 
especially if Stevie was like, oh, I heard you were a singer. Do you want to sit down and sing? And I would probably immediately poop in my pants. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of neat to think about it, like meeting people that you admire so much and how you might react to that and know that it's a possibility too. It's like, I assume this will happen. I hope it'll happen, but maybe it never will. And if it does, how am I going to act? I look forward to hearing the story. I actually got very close to meeting Stevie Wonder because he used to come into the Apple store that I worked at in Los Angeles. And I, yeah, I don't think I ever saw him. He would come in the back and go into the manager's office because since he is completely blind, and I don't know if it was actually due to blindness or just that he didn't want to cause a ruckus in the store. But I think uh, whenever he wanted to buy something, he would go into the back to get support that way. Or maybe, I don't know if he was like getting something repaired, but I know it happened multiple times. And it was just so cool because people would be like, Stevie Wonder is here. But he would only interact with the managers because he was in that room. So I don't have any recollection, at least, unless for some reason I'm blocking it out. But that seems like a weird memory. I met a lot of really cool people while working for Apple. And he was not one of them, sadly. All right. One more for funny. I don't know why this one just made me laugh. So I thought I'd, (laughs) I thought I'd share it. Bada bean, bada boom, meaning. Is it bada bean or is it bada bing? I thought it was bada bing, but this person typed bada bean. (laughs) Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing. Yeah. I mean, when I look it up, it's bada bing, bada boom. Wow. Interesting. It is actually in the dictionary. Bada bing, bada boom is a phrase used to emphasize that something will happen effortlessly and predictably. Whoa, that like completely ties into our topic and I didn't even mean for it. (laughs) (laughs) It's slang for it's finished. It's taken care of. Bada bing, bada boom. I would like to start saying that more often. It's very satisfying, isn't it? Yeah, especially I think if you just like make a certain gesture with your hand where you're just kind of like, yeah, bada bing, bada boom. It's like... It, I love that you said like you done. were doing the gesture, but you didn't describe what you were doing. It's like, it's kind of like, oh, what is the gesture? Like, it's not like a mic drop, but it's almost like a you're throwing it down, like bada bing, bada boom. Like you're taking your hand and you're flipping your wrist, like as if you threw something down, like bam, like almost like... The same gesture-ish that people do when they're like throwing money at a stripper, like bada bing, bada boom, is done. I love that you keep describing your gesture with that phrase because that could be <laughs> any, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, just because you're describing it with that phrase doesn't mean anybody has any idea what gesture you're making. But for me, <laughs> when I hear that phrase, The gesture that I would do if I was going to say that is like pointing to the side, (laughs) like pointing to the left and pointing. Before you, I literally thought you were going to say pointing to one's crotch. Because that's even funnier. We're doing like the crotch slap that the pro wrestlers did in the 90s. Like when you take your hands like karate chop the inner thigh near the crotch. Like that could also be a gesture for bada bing, bada boom. Like slap, slap, crotch, bada bing, bada boom. Well, maybe if we bring it back semi full circle because it wasn't fully at the beginning of our episode, but maybe that's the gesture you make when you've had a lot of magnesium and you wake up the next day. And you know what? I feel like the next time it happens, 
I'm going to make that gesture toward my girlfriend, Laura, and see how she reacts. And I'll report back with more information on the next episode. Please say, bada bing, bada boom. Oh, I will. When you do (laughs) And just don't even give her context. Hopefully it's before this episode comes out. (laughs) Zero context. Zero context. Though, dear listener, as we are (laughs) referencing this amazing... Magnesium breakthrough from BioOptimizers. I wanted to give you one last shout out where you can find the special deal we are doing with our amazing sponsor. Again, the website is B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash Wellevator. And you can use the code Wellevator10, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R-1-0 to save 10% on the magnesium breakthrough. And on that note, uh, ladies and gentlemen, If you do have any uh, of the benefits we described, sexual or not, but probably especially the sexual benefits, we'd love to hear from you. So feel free to uh, email us. Our direct email is hello at wellevator.com. And you could just have subject line morning wood or uh, subject line amazing boners or subject line everyone's happy at the house. Whatever you want, we'd love to hear from you if you do decide to take advantage of this discount code and get the magnesium breakthrough. We always want to hear from you, no matter what, but especially with the benefits you experience taking the supplement. So with that, dear listener, thanks for getting uncomfortable with us here on the podcast. As always, we like to have fun. We like to get serious. We like to just fling ourselves into the unknown of life. And we're glad that you're doing it with us. So for all of the references to the great products, the resources, the books, the articles, the songs, all the things we referenced, go to our website again, which is wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Click on the podcast section there in the global navigation on top. It will take you to the show notes for this episode and all of the preceding episodes of This Might Get Uncomfortable. And you can find out where to access us on social media and give us some shout outs. So we are on all the major ones, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, TikTok, all of them. We're on every, well, not all of them, but the biggies. We're on the biggie smalls. So yeah. Keep in touch. Let us know how the magnesium works for you. Let us know if you have any funny morning wood stories or any great road trip stories or any stories at all. We always love hearing from you. So, dear listener, until next time, we wish you all of the best and bada bing, bada boom. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 